people have opinions without being fully informed. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Hag, and with me, of course, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? What up? Been a week, man. It's all good. Been a week. What's that? It's been a week. I know well, it's been two weeks. It has been two weeks, you're right. It's we- been a week that we did not have the Robin Caleb Show. And it was a great oh my what a crazy week in my life. I there was T- just tell me like about it. Tell every what, no, well, what happened. Every different direction things are coming. Good things, sad things, difficult things, all at once. I, I tell you what, man, I I, I I acquired the plague while we were off. The uh the Friday night. Okay, so I'll, here you go. I think I already told this story on air once, but I'll tell it again. A couple weeks ago, it was a Friday uh, evening. It was right before Shabbat was starting. You know, my wife was inside cooking. The kids were out front playing in the front yard. My son likes to dig in the front yard, which is fun for him. I remember what it was like to dig in, you know, dig in the yard. But of course, now our front yard looks like a construction zone. Whatever. Um, so he's digging in the front yard, and, the, and this couple and their young son, who's about my son's age, walk by our house, and the guy stops and he says. Hey, Shabbat Shalom. And I was like, Shabbat Shalom. Well, we've sent a pair of tzitzit to someone on my street. And, you know, the dilemma was, do we save the shipping and drop it off on his front porch? Or do we, you know, or do we just send it? Because it might be weird if all of a sudden some Jewish guy is delivering a package on the front porch. Anyway, so I instantly knew that this is probably... You could send the- it by drone. This is true. If I had a drone, yes. (laughs) Do you own a drone? No. I'm thinking 21st century, man. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so. so, I think uh, you shared. Yeah, I think our last show, I think you shared a little bit. Yeah, so anyway, this is this uh, couple goes to a congregation here in town, uh, and they got a son, my son's age, and. Uh, they're around our age, and they're just, you know, a wonderful couple. We And we really, really like them and, and enjoy hanging out with them. We went over to their house the Friday after our last show, so two weeks ago. And the next morning, I think I think uh, this gentleman's wife was, was getting over a cold or something. The next morning I woke up, I have a sore throat. I tell you what, man, I have not been that sick in years. I'm still sick today. I still got a sore throat. It's just been hanging. It's been like 11, 12 days now. And I'll tell you what, people, everybody's got a remedy, right? Oh, let me tell you what. What you want to do is put some echinacea with some lemon and golden seal into a mixture and drink that down. You'll be, you'll be clear and free the next day. 
I've tried it all. Trust me, none of it works. <laughs> none of it works. Uh, was that a was that impression like? Were you drawing on multiple? Person, yes, uh, yes, you know, yes, characters in your life. Exactly. One like conglomerate. Yes, like, I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, peg anybody too spot on. Um, all right. Well, let's say what up and shalom to everybody in the chat room, and uh, we got a good showing there right now. And yet no one said anything. If you can hear us in the chat room, please say, uh, t tell me that, uh, what our sound is like. And here's the other thing I got to tell you this, Rob, uh, now I, I, I told Rob a little bit about this. We messed with it just a little bit. I figured out how, and this might actually be, if there's lag time between video and audio, this might be a factor. Um, if there's more lag time than normal, uh, I, I figured out how to use a program called Adobe audition as a soundboard a live soundboard for the Robin Caleb show, which is great because uh, now I can uh, I can mute Rob when he's talking over me, but you'll still be able to hear me. <laughs> exactly. I would never and do that. I would. When I go that. long, yeah, he just fades just start, you out. When I like drift off into footnote of a footnote of a footnote. <laughs> exactly. Hey, that's that's where I hang out. What can I say? All right, and I, like I got the footnotes. The, the other thing that people can't see this this camera shot right here for those on YouTube, and I know that for those on the radio, I apologize for all this. But the the nice thing that I've done is I've gotten this camera shot nice and tight, so you can't see the copious amounts of stuff around me, including the two keyboards that I'm currently using. Everybody in the chat room says hello, and we thank everybody for being in there. Uh, it's great to see everybody back in there after, after two weeks. Okay. So, uh, let's get all this out of the way. Of course, the Robin Caleb show is brought to you by torresource.com and torresource.com. You can find all sorts of great fun, uh, and stimulating mind, mind stimulating things like lectures and video lectures. We're, you would not believe what we're doing to the site right now. It's uh, it's it's a complete overhaul, and and uh, the prayer right now is that uh, once this is finally finished, everything will be nice and in order and easy for people to find, and easier for people to find, and uh, hopefully it'll it'll help uh, kind of get uh, get people more interested in the site. So uh, that's the prayer. And uh, so, but even right now, go and find tons of free articles and all sorts of great stuff. Um, and of course, our comment line, don't forget to call us and, and tell us what you think. It's just a, a call in line. It's not, you won't, you won't talk to anybody. So tell us the, what you love or hate about us. Uh, 253-465-3205. I give it to you one more time for those not watching on YouTube. It is 253 465 3205. Well, uh, I heard some of the uh, perils and, and wonderful times that you had, Rob, in the past two weeks. Now, you took a Sunday. Now, I only heard a very little bit of, of this story. And by the way, for those who do re receive our show notes, and you should receive our show notes, you can do that by going to torresource.com, hover over the radio tab, and go down to the Rob and Caleb show, and you can sign up right there on that page. And we have gotten more people signing up for our show notes, but uh, there's links in there. And that's really the reason that you want the show notes. So anytime we talk about a link or anytime that we uh, play a, a audio clip or anything, the full audio clip or the website or the book or whatever is going to be in your show notes. And that's really what they're for. Um, okay. So uh, the, all the, uh, the things that I, I was introduced to by Rob just the other day when he told me th about this story. Tell me what happened. Oh, yeah. Well, it's. I went down, my son and I drove to Portland for a day. So it's, it's about a, what, a five, six hour drive. We stopped, took pictures along the way. 
beautiful day. Headed out early. Why did we need to go to Portland? Because at Portland State University, there is a, strangely enough, they have a, a book, a Hebrew book that uh, was written in like the 70s mm. that pertains to the Masora project that I'm working on. And this is for, for the, the uh, this is for the trip to Israel, right? Yeah, yeah, for the my presentation uh, that's going to be uh, at Hebrew University, which I'm just stoked about and nervous and excited and all this stuff together. Um, anyway, so we went and I talked to the lady and she's like, yeah, you can come in and you can scan it. There's a scanner right here. And so I went to do that and, um, beautiful day. I'd never been to the Portland state university campus, beautiful campus. It's right in the real dense area downtown, but this was a really nice day. A lot of people outside on a Sunday afternoon and I come out of, come out, uh, my son's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go sit out side while you finish scanning this right so i'm you know i'm sitting there just like scan scan pretty boring for like half hour or so i come out and i see him almost physically cornered (laughs) by two young looking like college looking guys and one of them has a big has a bible open and i'm like i just pause and i just watch for a while (laughs) my dad has done that to me too where where i'm and so i yeah yeah Keep going. So I walk over and I and um, one of the guys was not doing any talking. He was standing back a little. And I went over and I said, "Hey, what are you guys? How are you guys doing? Oh, we're teaching about God the Mother." And I'm like, "What?" And these guys looked like you know Pakistani or uh, maybe Indian. I don't mean like Native American. I mean like Indian. I mean in terms of. Uh, you know, just their hair color, eye color, skin tone, etc. But they spoke very, very good English. Sure. And so I was thinking at first, I'm like, God, the mother, is this like a a Hindu syncretism with some sort of Bible religion? You know, I, I didn't know. I mean, they they were dressed just like you know, like a American, uh, you know, young college students. You know, nothing you know, strange. Um, oh yeah, we're teaching about God the mother from scriptures. So God the mother, and I'm like. Man, no. <laughs> wait, wait, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's in there. It was like, he was like, it's in there. And so then I kind of stepped between my son and this guy who's doing the talk. And I'm like, so what are you talking about? Oh, we're, we're teaching people about God the mother. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. And I'm like, so, so he's, he's going between like Revelation and Genesis 1. And he's like telling me about, well, Elohim is the word for God is plural. And, I'll, and I said, oh, do you know Hebrew? Um, no. <laughs> well, so, so you're just telling me what somebody else told you to tell me? Yep. Well, just let me finish, right? I mean, he kept going back to his script. And then, um, and I finally say, so, so you don't, I said, do you know Greek? No. Do you know Hebrew? No. But you're, you're using those words you're using words in the in Hebrew to try to sell your point to me. And I'm like, that doesn't that. But yet when I ask you what this other word is in Hebrew, because I asked him another word from Genesis one, he says, well, what's that word in Hebrew? I said, you tell me. Well, I said, God, the mother, it's not uh, there's no God, the mother. Oh, yes. You're just not letting me finish. And then it ended up being you're being unloving. Uh, and of course, they, yeah, the, the Mormons have done that to me a lot, too. You're being you're just being you're yelling at me. And you're being unloving. <laughs> and, and I'm like, no, if I was yelling, 
<laughs> Let me tell I'm you like, about the Hoff goes off real quick. There's a I drink you, about what it. I, what I'm saying is I said, I take this with absolute serious. I take this more seriously than you do. That's what I told the guy. I take the word of God more seriously than you do. You haven't learned the languages, and you're sitting there trying to tell me about God the Mother. There is no God the Mother in scriptures. You're trying to feed me something that somebody else has told you to go around telling. Well, then they, they quickly, you're being unloving, and they, like, they left like really, really quickly. Well, apparently, I was like, this was really weird. And, and my son said, well, what he said was, can I ask you questions? We're doing a school project. So their, their angle in to the conversation was about some school project. And I'm like, this is just really weird. And so I kind of laid the rest of the day, you know, I'm a pretty thin skinned person. I, the rest of the day I'm like going, Oh man, maybe I could have been a little more, you know, maybe I could have just heard him out or, you know, not to agree, but just to try to, why do you have to feel, be such a jerk, man? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> anyway. And then I, I realize I come home and I tell my wife the whole story. She's like, no, you were right on. You you were right on. She's like, you, you weren't, you were there for a purpose and they all of a sudden wanted you to just give them all your attention and stop everything you're doing and just to listen to them tell you a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have to be apologetic for any of that. Anyway. Your wife is that, a wise I person. Got, I, yeah. Oh boy. She sets me straight all the time. I love it. <laughs> Um, okay. So that, so then that happened. And then I got an email like a couple days ago from one of our friends, Kelly in, in Southern California. And she's like, and she had no idea about the story cause I hadn't shared this with anybody really. Sure. Uh, she says, Oh, I'm talking to this girl who's talking about God, the mother. And I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah. And so she sent me this email and maybe people, out, maybe our listeners have already aware, aware of this group. Basically, to fast forward, there was a guy in Korea in the middle of the 20th century. He was born and raised Buddhist. At some point, he converted to Seventh-day Adventist uh, teaching in Korea, but then was excommunicated by the SDA, started a new church, and claims that the new that he was, I think that he was the return of Christ, and that they built a building, and they call it the New Jerusalem, and it's called the uh, God the Mother. And this, it, it totally connects. And so I think that with my personal experience and then Kelly's note, they must be on a bit, um, and they've been around. I mean, they had failed predictions in the 80s and 90s, but... Um, Okay, wait, hang on just a sec. So because it's I, new on my radar. This is all yeah, new it's, on my it's radar. totally new on my radar, too. Uh, I, I apologize. Uh, the, the chat room has informed me. Should we call it something besides the chat room? My favorite podcast calls their chat room the war room. That's awesome. We should come up with a, with a good name for our chat room. The round Any, table. The round. <laughs> uh, okay, for now, the chat room is telling me that, that they are, there are people in the chat room who are aware of uh, this group. Um, and maybe some of our maybe some of our listeners over in Korea can tell us. Uh, I went and watched a video for like five minutes. It showed all the different buildings that they own, like all the different uh, churches that they own in South Korea. Whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. I you know I haven't checked them out when I was in Korea. Um, this and the the uh, chat room informed me that uh, the links. There's three links in the in the show notes. I screwed up. I put all of the links 
in uh, one link on all three of the what is supposed to be the links. I apologize for that. So now you only have one link, but you, you should navigate. You should you should be well able to navigate website. Yeah. Well, uh, one uh, of the things that, that is interesting here. Or go ahead, Caleb. You t- well, they, they, you know, they just got pictures of like what what can, looks like a million people in front of their main building, and, and it, we're talking million dollar built, multi multi million dollar facilities. Oh, each one of them is. I mean, each one of their buildings looks like it's worth millions. This guy in 1948, the Second Coming, Christ on. Uh, no, I'm going to screw this up. On Sang Hong restored the true truth of life. The Church of God started as Christ on on Hong Song came to Korea, which is located at the ends of the earth in the east in 1948, according to the prophecy of the fig tree. I don't I don't know how he twisted that one around and restore the truths of the new covenant. Now, I will tell you this, and, and I'll let you go here in just a second. If you go to a church intro video off of the homepage, this is where they have all these different videos and you can watch all these different videos. They're about, they're like five minutes and below. Um, anyway, and I'm not suggesting that our listeners go and check this out. I mean, this is obviously ridiculous. I wonder how long it's going to be, though, until we start hearing people in, uh, you know, in Christianity, in mainstream Christianity, in uh, the Messianic and the Hebrew Roots movement talking about God the Mother. Uh, it's got to be the next thing, right? Well, here's the here's one of the things is that it will they keep apparently they keep up something called Passover and feasts and they're using Jerusalem now as their location, which is what I think Mormons did that in the 19th century. They called Zion, like, is it Independence, Missouri or something? In other words, they took uh, biblical, you know, Israel prophetic place names and then went and said, this is like, this is biblical Zion, right? And so... Um, well, the, look at this. That the, sort of thing. The, the chat room has more insight on this than I do. They cool. te- they teach that just as Christ was the incarnation of God the Father, that their new prophet is the incarnation of God the Mother. I laughed out loud. <laughs> that's a, that's Chris and uh, uh, Gary, uh, who's our uh, our program programmer, our radio programmer. Uh, Gary says, "Don't forget to talk about all the awards they received, cultural awards." So it seems like they're real big into. Here's a church. Yeah, here's a church that has an awards tab on their website and they have like hundreds and hundreds of pictures of awards, what they won it for or earned it for. And then you can download and print out your own copy of that award. So you can put it on your office wall. But don't you think that that's exactly what's happened in other, in other false doctrines, for instance, Mormonism, right? In Mormonism, what's their big, their big draw. People say, Oh, these people are so loving and they have the love of Christ. And how do we know that? I'm talking about the Mormons now. How do we know that? Because look at their families. They're all about family. Their families are so strong. They have these large, loving families. Everybody gets along so well. I mean, there's been there's been parodies of this on on television before, right? Um, and 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 what does that do? It draws people into the religion itself, into the theology, basically because they have this this talking point. And it looks like this talking point is, of course. Look at all the the uh, humanitarian service we're doing. Look at all the charity we're doing. Look at how much we love people. Uh, you know, you can love so it people. Becomes a, a, a you wearing your righteousness on your sleeve, right? It's well, like sounding a trumpet before you. They're going to say no. We're just we just want to show that we love people. And but the point is, is that it's it's like the bait that's going to get uh, people who are looking for. You know, if you're broken, 
And we all are broken in some way, right? Sin has affected us all in some way. But there are people who are more broken than others, especially people who are attracted to, play, you know, cults and whatnot. If, if you're broken and all of a sudden you see a family unit that you'd never had that, that works really well and is loving and everything, what do you want? You want that. So you, you're attracted to it. If you're, if you're broken because, you know, you were uh, bullied or beat up or, you know, you're, you're who knows what uh, growing up and all of a sudden you find this place that is all about love and we'll accept you no matter what and love, 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 and we help everybody, uh, that's very attractive. And so theology tends to go out the window. And of course, our motto here is that theology matters and scholarship counts and theology matters. It's a theology sandwich. That's how much it matters. Um, anyway. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, yeah. Big thank you to, uh, to, uh, Gary Springer and to Michael Gonzalez for moderating our chat room and a big thank you to the chat room. Also, it's always great seeing you guys chatting there. And for those watching in our chat room right now and for watching uh, later on YouTube, uh, you will notice that I keep looking over towards the camera. It's not because I'm uh, fixated on the camera. It's because my I, I now have three screens and my chat room is right over here. So, um, yeah, everyone will know when I'm looking at the chat room. Okay, and also my show notes are over here. So let's uh, let's get into it. So today, what are we going to do? Uh, since I've been working so hard on trying to uh, get this this website moved over, and since uh, Rob has been working so hard on his presentation for Jerusalem, um, and give me just a second. I'm actually going to, uh, uh, since, uh, Rob has been, uh, working on his, uh, presentation for Jerusalem, we have not really, uh, I mean, we haven't taken a whole lot of time to pull clips and all that kind of stuff. So what do we do when the, that kind of thing happens? We, uh, ask all of you what you want to talk about. And we got some, uh, some good email and some good mail. And so let's open up. Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Mail time. Okay. Um, so we we really got a lot of good mail. And the funny thing is, is that it always it all kind of uh, worked together really nicely. And so let's start with this one. And this one is a, a very good one. And I actually have some slides for, for this one. This is the only, I did these slides about 15 minutes before we came on air. So, um, yeah, I'm next, next week. I'm, I plan on having more things besides right now. I just have two little banners, you know, for like our comment line and for the tour resource, you know, but, uh, next, next week I'll have more of that stuff. Cause I'm going to put a little bit more time into it. Uh, so I'm sorry until then. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, here's the question. Shalom, Rob and Caleb. I have a Greek Orthodox guy throwing Deuteronomy 23.2 at me. It's about the child of a harlot not being allowed in the assembly of God. Is there an explanation for this? Well, let's go and take a look. Now, uh, for those who are, are savvy in their, uh, you know, in their Torah memorization, you'll know that the, uh, the child of, well, it's not actually a child of a harlot. It's a, a illegitimate child, a, a child born out of wedlock, um, is not the only uh, person that the Torah says cannot enter the assembly of the Lord. Okay, let's read this specifically, though. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, 2, I'm reading out of the NASB. It says, No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the 10th generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So, the question, obviously, and now I'm going to expand the question because I think what uh, this gentleman is getting at. Okay, does that mean that as... Uh, Torah believers, and when I say Torah believers, I mean believers in the Messiah Yeshua who uh, believe that we are sanctified through the Torah and attempt 
their best to keep Torah uh, today. Does that mean that a uh, we shouldn't allow a uh, I, am I allowed to use this an illegitimate child? There's I mean a bastard child, right? And I apologize if people are offended by that, but um, it, are we not allowed to have that kind of a person come into our congregations, even to the tenth generation? And I think that's where this person's question is coming from. He says he has a Greek Orthodox guy throwing this at him. So I'm guessing that the Greek Orthodox gentleman is saying, well, if you really are going to keep Torah, are you asking if, you know, if when people come into your uh, congregation, are you saying, hey, were your parents married, you know, when you were born? I think that's where it's coming from. It's a good question. Excellent question. Um, do you want me to keep going, or would you like to go first? Well, I think that if you look at Deuteronomy 23.1, starting there, um, some of the things, like it says, no one who is emasculated is the, is the NASB, uh, uh, um, or anyone with a, a male that has been, like, you know, crushed. eunuch, eunuch to, yeah. right, um, can, can enter the assembly of the Lord. Um, and th- that all, those are things that also disqualify a priest yes. from serving, um, as a priest. Okay. So, uh, you, so you these, bet- uh, what there's a parallel here and the parallels are in Leviticus 21 and 22. Yeah. Okay. So I actually, uh, wait, hang on just a sec. I actually have a, a couple of verses. Let's now in, oh. in the, in Deuteronomy 23, three, let's look at this real quick because it's called, uh, the Kehillah, or... Uh, we have to define that. We have to define what is the assembly of the Lord. Yeah, okay. Now, now, interestingly, we have two different terms that can be found throughout the Torah. You have the Kehillah, and you have the right. Kehillah Adonai, or the, the Kehillah of, of the Lord. You have and, the Edah, right? We have a couple different terms. Here, now, now Kehillah certainly can at some times mean the assembly of people. And we see this... Uh, now, I, I could have pulled some other ones, too, but they're a little... You're not really sure what they're talking about. Um, but certainly there are times that the Kehillah is is talked about as the congregation of the people, right? But right. the assembly by itself certainly is used. Now, well, let's start here. The, uh, what, the, the direction that Rob was going was towards priests. And there is a split within the scholarly community on whether or not the assembly of the Lord, the Kehillah Adonai, is talking about the priests or whether or not it's talking about the elders, well, right. I didn't mean. To, I did not mean to imply that it's the priests. Sure. I was okay. saying the parallel that we have a situation where a similar situ, uh, thing would disqualify someone who's normally qualified to serve in a certain legal official capacity in Israel is disqualified because of a physical impairment. Um, I I take that kahal here in in Leviticus uh, 23 has to do with... You mean um, Deuteronomy 23? Yeah, Deuteronomy 23 is the concept of of like full citizenship in terms of land, um, you know, probably bearing, you know, land ownership, um, bearing, you know, having a, a voice as a witness in a, in, a, in a court case, you know, it's that sort of thing. See, I disagree. I think that it has to do specifically with being an elder. And uh, so let's look at the word just assembly by itself without uh, Kehillah Adonai. So just Kehillah. Here's one example. 
and we'll go to Leviticus 4.13. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits error and the matter escapes the notice of the kehilah, the assembly, and they commit any of the of the things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty. So right here we have a, a separation between congregation, that is the, the assembly of the people, and the assembly, that is the elders of the people, the people who stand in judgment over the people. And then when we look at Kehila Adonai, the assembly of the Lord, we have even more. So we have, they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to, the, to them, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord, the Kehila Adonai? So obviously we have a difference between congregation here and of the assembly of the Lord. And then in Deuteronomy 23.1, no one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And this is, Rob already touched on this. And then in 23.8, of course, the sons of the third generation who are born to them, they enter the assembly of the, uh, may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, uh, the one that I didn't put in here was of the Moabite, right? Uh, where the Moabite and the Ammonite weren't allowed to be a, a part of the of the uh, Kehilah, uh, the Kehilah, right? Uh, the Kahal. Here it's just to, Kahal. Kahal, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, to the tenth generation, but we know that that Ruth, right? She was a Mo- Moabitess, and she was part of of Israel. She became part of Israel, right? So it, it certainly can't mean that she's not allowed to be a part of. The congregation of people. There's something else going on here, and that's why I think it means leadership or someone standing in judgment. Thoughts? No. Yeah, I mean, I think that's along the right path. I think the idea is some sort of, you know, I, I'm taking it more of just a, a full legal citizenship with with respect to land ownership and official being somehow officially recognized in the in city records and among uh, things like that. But it, it could be very much, you know, I think it could be even more pointed than that, um, uh, even a smaller group, those who are the elders or judges that are, um, you know, in charge of of giving rulings uh, in, in the land, etc. Um, and that's just the, you know, just in the same way that a, someone who is a Kohen, who's a legitimate son of Aharon, um, might be disqualified on the base from uh, acting in that inherited position due to these what we would call blemishes, and these are the, you know with with respect to twenty three one those are the uh, uh, similar to the things that disqualify an otherwise proper animal from being offered, right? I mean, uh, you wouldn't take an emasculated animal to to sacrifice at the temple to the Lord, right? That would be rejected. The priests wouldn't let that. It has to be tamim. It has to be like um, with okay. all its parts. Hang on just a sec. Now, uh, Philip is taking umbrage by with what we are saying. He says, sorry to be simplistic, but surely this is a Jeremiah 31.29 situation. Um, okay, so Jeremiah 31.29 says, in those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes in the children's teeth, are set on on edge. And then Philip also says, well, I suspect you're complicating things a little too much. Well, I'm not sure how else we would take this. In terms of the Jeremiah 31, I I suspect that what Philip is 
And I could be wrong about no, this. That, I don't see that as applying. I don't. Uh, I don't either because that, that's this is not a this is not a punishment. That there's this is not a punishment going on here with, when it comes to the Mamzer. He says, "No umbrage, your brother." Thanks. With the thanks, Ammonite Philip. and the Moabite, um, there's a reason. Sure. But we're not the guy. Uh, my understanding. Because remember, we're, we're getting in Deuteronomy here. We have these legal, the only relationship that verse 1 in Deuteronomy 23, the only relationship verse 1 has with verse 2 and verse 2 has with verse 3. Um, and then why even in verse 7 they're going to mention Edom is because there's some sort of legal principle that's connecting them all. They're not all related to each other, but they all have to do with who is permitted to uh, be recognized or serve in a certain capacity within Israel. That's what they have in common. Well, the um, other, the other thing is, is that, uh, it's not it, a, this is not a punishment. Well, it, and um, I, I'm not, I'm not quite clear on the, on the association with Jeremiah 31, because in Jeremiah 31, 27, we have the beginning of, of, I think most of our listeners know this, this is the beginning of the passage of the new, new covenant, right? Um, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as so I mean we have we have the uh, the, the new covenant coming here now the new covenant I agree that the new covenant is not time bound and I think we've we've talked about this many times within within our shows um, so I believe that Abraham was part of the new covenant I believe that Moses was part of the new covenant and I believe that anyone who looked forward or looks back to the uh, the the sacrifice of the Messiah issue on the cross is part of the new covenant. But at the same time, has the new covenant been fulfilled? I would say the answer is no. And the reason why is because, uh, and I'm getting I'm getting to uh, our Deuteronomy passage here in a roundabout way, but the, the reason I don't think it's been fully fulfilled yet is because we don't see Israel as a nation accepting Yeshua as the Messiah, right? They haven't become part, as a nation, they haven't become part of the new, new covenant. Um, so it hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. It's been fulfilled for us, right, as believers. Anyway, the point is, is that it seems like in, in the Deuteronomy passage, we have what's what seems to be part of the renewal covenant, that is the land-grant covenant, i.e., these are the things that you do to stay, you know, if you do these things, I'll give you the land, I'll bless you, right? Now, the, the Jeremiah, uh, the, the new covenant, what's the difference? Obviously, God writes it on our hearts. Um. So, but maybe I'm... Maybe I'm I'm misunderstanding, but I don't I don't think that uh, you know I think that the reality of not allowing a Moabite or uh, or someone uh, who's been emasculated or so on and so forth not allowing them into the assembly seems like a physical, real commandment that had to be kept with the with the Torah. So the question is is how does this play out within real life then, and how does it play out now? I th- and because I I think that God's Torah is not necessarily time bound right so what i i'm getting <clears throat> lost in the weeds here i'm i'm like i don't understand what uh what was the original can you reframe the original question that why we're looking at this yeah okay so the original question is if you are let me reframe the question if you are uh saying that the torah is in act today if you are saying that we should be keeping torah as christians or as believers in yeshua okay then 
when it says that someone who is a bastard child isn't allowed into the assembly, does that mean that we aren't allowed to have a person like that come into our congregations and worship with us? Oh, gotcha. Okay, so uh, re- so in other words, what they're doing is they're reading Deuteronomy 23, and they're saying where it says kahal, that means my local church. That's what they're saying. Oh, gotcha. Assembly okay. of believers. <laughs> okay, so we're— um, so right there, we'd have to, if, if I'm going to impose that our local community is this, that's a pretty big, I would, have, I would also have to look, are there any Ammonites and Moabites, right? I mean, um, and things like that. I, I think we need to understand that what, uh, what Moses is doing here is preparing them for their entry into the land. And that there's no way to apply this scripture to to our life in a in a way where according to the way it was commanded it, i mean it's it's and in that see, regard, see, but, but but at the same time what i'm saying is and maybe this is where maybe philip was was going and I don't want to misrepresent uh, my brother Philip here, so um, I'll, I'll just take it <laughs> as my own. Uh, I think what we can say is that if someone's part of the New Covenant, even in the time, let's say in the time of, of Ruth, okay, she's part of the New Covenant, she believes in the coming Messiah, she believes in the work that the Messiah will do on the cross for her, or that he will at least take care of of sin for her, right? Okay, now she's part of the New Covenant, right? Does that mean that she's not allowed into the into the assembly because uh, because she's a Moabite? And my point is, what I'm trying to say is that I think that when it says Kehila Adonai, what it what it means is the elders. I think that Kehila Adonai is a, a kahal. way. Kahal. It's just kahal Adonai. It's, it's, it is yeah. is the way uh, is the way that they're that they. It's a term that they use for the elders of of Israel. And therefore, if, if we take that as the definition, and I think that's a total plausible definition, that it is inappropriate to impose my local church in yes. Deuteronomy 23. Uh, I, I and, get what you're saying. Yes, I agree. And then try to say, well, this must fit then. If you're saying the Torah applies, then this must uh, apply. Um, that's, my, that's my take on it. Can I define my the, the chat room says? Can you define the meaning your meaning of what is a believer? Well, that's uh, we've talked about this as well. But a believer would be um, someone who believes that the Messiah. Well, before the Messiah came, I believe a believer was someone who believed that the Messiah would come and deal with sin for personally for them. Now I think it's someone who believes that the Messiah came and dealt with sin personally for them. Yeah, and someone whose who's faith, because we're talking about faith and belief is faith, who is like Abraham is reckoned as the, as righteousness. Yes, right? exactly. That's, I mean, the, the most simple definition would be to be the same as Abraham in Genesis 15. Okay, let's keep going. This, this took longer than I thought it was going to, which is fine. That's great. But uh, yeah, it's time to move on. Okay, so... There's been multiple things that have happened recently. Um, I'll start because I think that uh, it'll segue nicely. I was, uh, I've, for those who are my friends on Facebook, you'll notice that I haven't been uh, on Facebook nearly as much, so I'm not posting nearly as much or anything like that. I've, I've kind of, I took Facebook off my phone, so if I don't respond to you right away, that's why. Um, 
so I'm only checking Facebook once once a week or once a, once a day now in the morning time. But the point is, is that uh, someone, thankfully, and I was I was grateful for this uh, for this opportunity. Somebody added me to a Facebook group called Hebrew Roots, and uh, I decided that I wasn't going to say much. Um, I just wanted to kind of see what the conversations were like, um, and I think people who listen to this show on a regular basis, the uh, the 36 people who listen to this show know that uh, I've been somewhat harsh towards the, the Hebrew Roots movement. And before the emails start flooding in, yes, I, I now understand that people use the term Hebrew Roots in different ways. Um, I use it differently than I think a lot of people do. And so um, we're, I, it, I'm not going to try to def, uh, define what, uh, what I mean by Hebrew roots right now. But uh, this group, one of the things that I noticed kept coming up was this, uh, this line of thought that if a person uses the word Jesus, the name Jesus instead of Yeshua or whatever flavor that person believes it should be, or if they use the word God, instead of, you know, Yahweh or whatever name, or if they are part of a Sunday Christian church, then they are still part of Babylon and therefore would not be considered part of Israel. Uh, This was like one of the main talking points that kept going over and over and over again. And uh, eventually I had to leave the group because I I just, you know, I've actually blocked people on Facebook who, um, who tend to speak out against what I believe is clearly the brethren. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people in the church that probably aren't, but there are a lot that I believe are part of the brethren. Um, and But uh, Rob had a similar, uh, and we won't go into it, but I had a similar kind of experience uh, just uh, in terms of looking at Christianity and uh, kind of turning, uh, people turning their no- nose up towards believers in the Christian church. So I want to talk real quickly about some of the things, some of the reasons that this makes me very upset. Um, and the reason, the main reason for me is because I believe coming out of the Christian church, I came out of the Christian church, well, uh, I was part of a Christian church all the way up until I was 16, but I was also part of a Messianic community from the time I was seven until, well, six until I was, uh, well, until now. So I've been in both camps for uh, a significant portion of my life. I owe a significant debt to the Christian church that I was a part of and to the people in that church. Uh, I have very fond memories of, of theological discussions that we had in Sunday school, things that shaped my faith and shaped my belief and my theology and uh, things that were very important. And for those who say we don't owe any debt of gratitude to the Christian church and that it's all just, uh, you know, lies from Satan, uh, I have to assume that most of those people who are saying that are actually reading either their Strong's Concordance or are not reading the, the original languages, which means that you are relying on the people that you say are part of uh, Babylon or whatever you want to say, uh, even to be able to read the Word of God. And to me, that we owe a huge debt to people like y- Wycliffe, Wycliffe, uh, Tyndale, um, even Luther, and I know, I know Luther was uh, is pegged often as the greatest anti-Semite, uh, you know, of the Reformation, and maybe he was. But we still uh, owe him something in terms of the we theology have to, we have. Can I just footnote there? Sure. Luther's anti-Semitism was theological. I agree. Not racial. Not racial. Big important 
differentiation we need to make. It was uh, a theological beef that went haywire. It was not racial. And what we call anti-Semitism was not even a term then. What we call anti-Semitism proper from the 19th and 20th century and on till today is anchored in uh, uh, an idea of Aryan race versus um, Jews as, as the, the Semitic race. So it's a, a war of races. And um, while the theological um, beefs might have been some fuel for the fire of, of you know, 20th century anti-Semitism, it's not the same thing. Um, and it, it, we just need to make that discernment that we don't just make this timeless category anti-Semitism and go back and, and read the book of Purim like Haman's like the, an anti-Semitite, you know, um, we just need to be careful. Remember, we, we always have to have in our background a sense of chronology and the development of ideas and understand each of those ideas in their context to the best of our ability. That's, we're responsible to do that. Um, so I just want to, but you would, okay. With that said, you still have to, uh, I mean, and I know you do, but, uh, those who think that we don't owe Christianity or Christians something, or even this one is a hard one for people to understand, including myself, the Catholic church. And the reason I say the Catholic church is because you have, uh, Greek Orthodox and you have the Catholic church that were essentially, and I'm not saying I'll, I'll clarify this in a second, but, um, they were the churches that you had. You didn't have a Baptist church down on your, on the corner of the street from, you know, 600 all the way up until the reformation. You had the Catholic church, you had the Greek Orthodox church. That was it. Now, were there true believers within the church? Yes. And would they be considered Catholic today? Who knows? I don't know, but we see a lot of people coming out of the Catholic church and the debt that we owe the Catholic church even though we don't like to admit it a lot of the time, is that they did preserve the writings. They did preserve, uh, you know, the, the, the written text that we have of the, of the apostolic scriptures, these other things. And this is why we have them today. Now, I'm not saying that we owe the Catholic Church a huge debt of gratitude for our theology. I think the Reformation. But all of the Reformers that I've, you know, that I've studied, and I'm not saying there weren't some, but uh, that weren't in the Catholic Church, but all most of the Reformers were a part of the Catholic Church. They came out of the Catholic Church. Well, I have a little paragraph from an excellent article Go for it. on John, John Wycliffe. This is uh, from the Master's uh, Seminary Journal, spring 2017. It's by Peter Goman of Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Anyway, he just talks about how in the Reformation, study of Hebrew and Greek were super, super high banners. Learn that that preachers, people who are teaching the word of God to a flock, had to have a basic had to have competency to be able to read the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. That that mm. was just without that, they knew that false doctrine would creep in. Anyway, what uh, what Goman writes here, he says, Wycliffe grew up, of course, in the 14th century, so Latin was used, and people were discouraged from having translations, right, by the by the papacy. Discouraged, uh, discouraged, yeah. discouraged uh, with a with a with a pole and fire. Right. So this is a 14th <laughs> century. So think about that. 
It says, uh, or Goman writes, Wycliffe was strongly motivated to write against papal authority, indulgences, and idolatry in the church. In addition, he supervised a translation of Scripture into English that the common people could understand. Although the Catholic Church ultimately condemned Wycliffe or Wycliffe as a heretic, his influence spread beyond the shores of England to much of Europe, due partially to the papal schism, which weakened the unquestioned authority of the Catholic Church. So, people, and then he, one more sentence here: people began to question papal authority and move toward the authority of Scripture. It was Wycliffe's belief in Scripture as the final authority of the Church that laid the groundwork for what in the Reformation is called sola scriptura. Mm. So in other words, it, was, it wasn't oral tradition, it wasn't um, discoveries from Mesopotamia or, um, you know, what other kinds of things. Uh, other books of the Bible, like, you know, that we only have translations of translations of, like Book of Jubilees or Book of Enoch. It wasn't any of that. It was Scripture, a person in the 14th century in this example, studying the scripture in the original language, and then just starting to discern, right, because the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, starting to discern between the word of God and the traditions of men. And in so doing, he ends up pursuing, it says, I like how he says, was strongly motivated to write against papal authority. That's, I view, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Ruach HaKodesh in Wycliffe. He's putting his life on the line and his reputation, right, for the sake of what he's reading in the original languages mm-hmm. and preaching to people. And it, and it goes, even we have Wycliffe Bible translators even today, name their mission, af- their missionary and translation work after his name, after this, the memory of what's at stake here. And one way to think of this, when you think of Christian bash, you know, we're going to bash, bash Christianity or, or, Hebrew roots or messianic world. I see, I, to me, it's all mission field. Hmm. They all need the same truth. I don't care. If we all need the up, same truth, right? Yeah. I don't know. If, I don't care if someone grows up in the messianic world or in the whatever two tribe world or Hebrew roots or, or Mormonism or larger Christianity. It doesn't matter. They all are the mission field for the word of God that comes from the original languages being uh, taught accurately so that people start to discern the difference between the Word of God and the traditions of man. Hmm. The traditions vary. Yeah. The, the traditions that Wycliffe was arguing about, even though they were in the Catholic Church, are, you know, a couple hundred years, was it a year, one or two hundred years later when Luther comes along, the Church, sure, there's still some of the same things. There's indulgence, but it's a different pope, uh, and Luther gets motivated to do the same thing. Calvin gets motivated to do the same thing. And we... Uh, and what I hear you say, Caleb, is there wasn't a Baptist church down the street. There wasn't all these other institutionalized uh, organizations where specific doctrines are being clearly broadcast. So that's the value of the Reformation is for is to see in history how this discernment, this tearing away happened and the people putting themselves, uh, their lives at risk. Why? To bring a sharpening of understanding what the Word of God is in the original language. Now, did they get it right? No. Are we going to, you know, sure, they had limited access to text, limited knowledge of language. But what do we have now in the 21st century? We not only have technology that would have been unfathomable to them, but we have so much, uh, such a treasure trove of resources 
of understanding ancient Hebrew, understanding of Koine Greek, understanding of the schisms in mm. Second Temple Jewish world. We have so much information. We should be able to have a sharper sword. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do at Tor Resource. We're saying, look, we're, we're not going to say, oh, we're against the Christians. We see this heritage as precious. It really is. It's a precious heritage. And we want to say, okay, what can we do? Can we stand on the shoulders of the giants that have gone before us and see further than they did? Because they were maybe blinded by a particular tradition of men that they just didn't see in their day, that we can see now. Yeah. And what else is there for us but to do that? But to start labeling entire groups of people yeah. is, to, is, to, is to make it look like it's not a mission field, is yeah. to make it look like it's not a harvest anymore. Uh, that's just out there, and you just got to go out there and and be clear on the message. Um, I'll shut up. Oh, you're fine. Um, no, well put. I agree. I I I, I have certain uh, I have problems with people who uh, who engage in church bashing because we've all been there. Well, most of us have been there at some point. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we got the, we saved the the longest. Uh, topic for last, and it's two questions that actually m- melt into each other. Uh, we'll try to make, and I know this is difficult, especially for someone like Rob, who's done Dead Sea Scroll studies. We'll try to make this first question a bit short, and we'll try to make the second one um, perhaps the main part of it. And this comes in I'm curious about how much the Dead Sea Scrolls inform the New Testament. How isolated was the Qumran community from general Judea? This is a great question. I'll go first. Uh, I think that we have to realize that the Qumran sect was not... uh, Now, there's multiple things that we have to look at. First of all, was the Qumran sect the the Essenes? Uh, Scholarship is is split on this. Let's pretend for a few seconds that it was the Essenes. I still think that uh, they were not as accepted as a lot of the uh, bigger groups. They might have been considered fringe. The Qumran sect certainly lived out in the, in the desert. Um, so, uh, And they might have had cells. I think it seems like they had cell groups throughout sure. the land and maybe even in the diaspora, but they were all... Uh, I, I, this morning I, I said this to my father I, because we were talking about this beforehand. Um, and... Uh, he, I said, you know, it was kind of like maybe it was it was kind of like the Hebrew roots movement is today to to wider Christianity. You see, the evangelicals they kind of get got this spur in their shoe because the scenes, you know, it's like today the Hebrew roots. Ah, it's kind of a thorn in their side, but really, and they're picking up people every once in a while. But really, you know, how how much does it really matter? But the one thing about the Qumran sect and the and the Dead Sea Scrolls that we do know is this. The language that they use was the same language that was being used in the first century. So uh, when we see Mahaseha Torah, the uh, the, uh, com- the commands of Torah, um, we see this used within the in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, we can also look in the Gospels and find the same the same uh, you know phrasing and understand that they're probably talking about the same thing. In other words, the debates were the same. Just like today, when someone in the evangelical circle says, um, you know, I believe in the Trinity, that is that three, uh, that that uh, the person of God, God is one, but uh, is reveals himself in three personages. Um, 
when a person in the Hebrew roots movement might say, and I know, I please understand, I understand that the Hebrew roots movement is completely split on this. But if somebody from says I'm part of the Hebrew roots and they say I don't believe in the Trinity, they're they're having the same conversation, right? And so in 2,000 years, when someone looks back and looks at maybe uh, uh, someone who's writing in the Hebrew Roots Movement who says, I don't believe in the Trinity and this is why, it still informs uh, that person of what, of the conversations that were going on today. And so this is where the real benefit, in my mind, of the Qumran uh, scrolls come from. Even though the sect might have been uh, kind of fringe and kind of isolated and not really mainstream, what it does do is show us the conversations that were going on and informs us about those conversations in the first century. Do you have anything to add to that, Rob? No, I, I think that's a well put. Uh, it's background, right? We have, think of a picture. When you look at a picture, right, the Mona Lisa, you see the, the what's in the foreground is the person and then you see the background, right? And the, so historically, we just have a lot of background that we, we're not gonna, it's not canon, it's not, but it's background, right? Sure. It's like, um, so the library at Qumran, you know, or um, other other uh, extra biblical texts from from the Second Temple period, rabbinic literature, early uh, church literature as we go through time. Yeah. You know, the worst of the Masora in terms of the Hebrew text of the Tanakh. All these things are background for us. It's not canonical, but being being wise and bringing a good sound method to our reading of what is the foreground, what is canon, um, it's good to to see that context, to understand it. And that's part of growing and understanding, especially when we're trying to be very, very clear in uh, our understanding of what the Word of God means and what it doesn't mean. Exactly. So the the next question actually ties in perfectly to this. Um, and here's the question. I know people in the Messianic movement that are switching to the Essene solar calendar. I know you touched on the subject during Passover, but maybe some uh, something a bit longer. I don't fully understand how they are running with this. This is actually a really good question. So in the show notes, uh, I don't know, maybe the people in the... Uh, in the chat room, they're having a lively discussion right now about uh, Catholicism. Um, maybe somebody can tell me if, if that link uh, to my dad's article, which can be found on Torah Resource, uh, works or not. And uh, it's uh, an investigation into uh, the, the Virgin Calendars. Um, I think that's the name of it. I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, not the point. Um, so a little bit about the Essene calendar. The Essene calendar was different than the, uh, the traditional... Uh, what should we say, Hebrew calendar, uh, lunar calendar. Basically, the Essenes reckoned the, their calendar from the sun. They did this Well, one. we have to be careful. We don't know a whole bunch about the Essenes proper. Uh, thank you. The Qumran community, right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking, it, it, and here, here's right off the bat, right off the bat, and this is this will tie in back to you know, what we're talking about, the value of the Reformation and the cry that we Latin isn't cutting it. Right, we need the original languages, and we need clear preaching from the original languages. That's that's the sola scriptura, and that 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 is our core corrective. That's our core corrective, as it teaching the word of God. Okay, what is that predicated on? It's predicated on that we have the we have Hebrew, we have Greek, we have access to the original language. Okay, 
that with the book of Jubilees or the book of Enoch, or Enoch and Jubilees are promoting a, a there are earliest Jewish books, Jewish works that promote a solar calendar. Enoch and Jubilees. Enoch coming, let's just put it in the third century BC to be generous. Jubilees being influenced by that early Enochic tradition into the second century BC, and then on into the Qumran community, but up through the first century BC and first century AD. That those communities, we, we don't have original languages. The best we can do is look at translations of translations. For example, the Coptic, or sorry, not the Coptic, the Ethiopic books of of Jubilees and of Enoch are translations of translations. So what if, if I were to come to you and say, hey, Caleb, we're, I'm convinced we need to keep, uh, I'm a disciple of Yeshua, you know that, but you know, I'm really convinced that uh, I need to keep this solar calendar. You'd say, well, what book are you going to? Where are you getting, are you inventing it? And I'd say, no, I'm not inventing. What are you talking about? This is from Enoch. And you'd say, well, do you have, you know, where did you get it? Well, what do you mean? Enoch's ancient text. Yeah. Well, if you kept pressing me on that issue, pretty soon I'd go, oh, you're right. I only have a translation of a translation. That would be like building doctrine off, like let's say let's say the Bible was translated into, you know, from Hebrew into the King James, and then someone translated the King James into Chinese, and now I'm trying to read the Chinese as if it's the original. Right? Would God do that for his people? Would he expect is he is he asking? I mean, the next step is Book of Mormon, where well I can't show you the originals. You just gotta take my word for it. You know, this is I I we're there, in the same boat. There's, with the with the value of Sola Scriptura and the Reformation, this is good because we're celebrating five hundred years of the ninety-five thesis this year. Is that we have that. It's it's on the table. We, that's where we start. We start with the original languages. If you're going to bring in Enoch and Jubilees, we don't have the text. We have very, very small fragments from Qumran that are in Hebrew and or Aramaic pertaining to Enoch. But we don't have fleshed out calendar things or anything like that. Um, it's just from that side alone, it should give you pause. It should give you a, mo a reason to just say, you know what, let's step on the brake a little bit. Let's take our foot off the gas here because this is this is a little bit crazy. You're putting a lot of weight on something that was not preserved. Right? Okay, You're so okay, a lot but, of weight but, on something but, that came flashed in the Second Temple we're period not, and on, disappeared. Hang on, just a sec though. We're not talking about we're not talking about the calendar put forward by. Enoch and Jubilees. I know that they were on a solar calendar as well. No, where do they, where did the, okay, so I guess I'm missing the question. Where else are these people getting their calendar that they're using? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Scroll 15 and 16. But those are, those, those are based, it's the, those, okay. Look, look, hang on just a sec. The Dead Sea Scrolls. So the, they want to be like the Dead Sea Scroll community. Yeah, the, the Qumran community and the and the chat room's right. Uh, uh, Philip, w once again, is, is dead on on this. It seems as though the, the, the Qumran sect moved. Uh, they, they never could get it right. They, they never could get the That's solar correct. They they have more, never, there's more than one. It's yes. like they tried it one year. And if you, you can't use their, their uh, calendar, I think we have a three-year span. You can't use it over and over and over again. 
Well, they, they tried to. The, the The calendar was in 364 days. Okay, and f- fr- now from what I've, the minimal amount that I've read on this comes from this book. It is a huge book. It's called The Dead Sea Scrolls After 50 Years, Volume 2. Um, and uh, so I pulled a quote from this, by the way, but um, it seems as though they were using 364 days. What this did was it made it so that theoretically what they were trying to or like the what they were trying to do is make it so that they never had to write a new calendar that's what it seems like right because if you have 364 days you can you you write a calendar and then everything's on the same day every year right right and and oh and they also fix uh shavuot to the 15th of the third month yeah so yeah okay the and it's, 15th of the, so they they're not counting the omer uh, there's real no, really no Omer count because you know you already know when it's a fixed day, and this yeah. goes back to the Book of Jubilees. I agree. This, okay, the, okay. The Qumran so, community inherits this from whoever wrote Jubilees. Okay, so so the problem is is that you would have to. I correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, what I believe is you'd still have to intercalate. And from what we understand of the of the Qumran sect, they didn't intercalate. There's no evidence that they did, at least, which means that sooner or later you would be having, uh, you know, harvest time in the winter. Uh, this is the quote that I grabbed, though, from this book. This is called The Dead Sea Scrolls After 50 Years. This is uh, volume two. This is on page 224. It says, there are several different opinions on the solar calendar. The 364-day calendar made it so the festivals – oh, I'm sorry. This is not the quote yet. Uh, made it so the festivals blah, 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 uh, were on the same day. Okay, here's the quote. The year always begins on Wednesday, corresponding to the creation of luminaries on the fourth day. The fest- So, in other words, they were trying uh, – this is – and this is uh, one of the the ways that they did it. And this book readily says that this like there's multiple ways that that uh, were reckoned here. Okay, so this is only one of them, and that we need to be clear about that. And this is uh, actually the whole point that there are, there are multiple ways that this all worked itself out. At least that's what it seems like from the from the Qumran text shows that the, anyone who's trying to adopt this in the Messianic or Hebrew roots communities is going to run into the same problems. What Qumran? What what solar calendar are you going to accept? You know, how are you going to do it? Um, so yeah, it doesn't solve it. <laughs> it doesn't solve any problems. You're you're actually create you're you're just creating a bunch of more problems. So I this mean, is the, the, this is the this is the old way of counting. The festivals of weeks falls on a Sunday, the fifteenth of the third day, uh, third month. Correspondingly, the counting of the Omer begins with the twenty sixth of the first month, according to their exegesis of Leviticus twenty three, eleven. Okay. Um, here's the problem: is that uh, according to the way I read Genesis, and I'm sure that uh, many people will take umbrage with this, but it seems to me that uh, we're supposed to use both the sun and the moon, right? And even the sure. the, the uh, Rosh Kodesh, it's called new. Why is it called new? Well, it seems as though the sun or the moon becomes new. So obviously the sun was a part of this. It seems to me the moon was. Um, and so Genesis, I think everybody knows this text, but we'll read it anyway. Genesis 1.14, I'm reading out of the ESV this time. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, 
and to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So it seems to me that in at least in Genesis 1, what we have is we have God setting up both the sun and the moon to reckon the the calendar by, right? And, there, I mean, there's other factors as well, too, I think, but not the point. Um, the idea that we're going to j- simply take a solar calendar and adopt it, we have what is interesting. I put that link in the in the, uh, um, in the the chat room for those who want it. You can find it on uh, online um, on Tor Resource uh, about calendars. Anyway, the, the point is, is that... Uh, uh, you know, th- we know that there were several various calendars going around in the first century. What's interesting is that we don't see Yeshua ever once talk about them. He never references one. He never takes sides, except for the fact that he goes, and we've discussed this as well, except for the fact that he goes to the temple dirt when the crowds are there. So it seems like he's going, when Passover is being celebrated, he goes to the temple. When Hanukkah is being celebrated, he goes to the temple, right? So every time that the masses are going to the temple, he goes to the temple too, which can only we can only assume that he took the majority calendar. And to me, I've said it once, I'll say it a million times more. If it's good enough for Yeshua, it is certainly good enough for me. I would much rather accept the calendar that um, that Yeshua will be celebrating than the one that I think is is best. Uh, that's not a majority calendar. Um, anything else on that, Rob? No, that's. I mean, you, you're you're right. Uh, here's the other thing: is that if you accept, it comes down to canon. Really, it comes down to what do you take as canon. Um, the Qumran community rejected Hanukkah and Purim. Mm-hmm. There's no place on the solar calendar for Purim or Hanukkah. We know that the the and they did fix a day for uh, Shavuot, which is the fifteenth of the of the third month. So if you're going to follow their calendar, you're actually going to apply the community rule. Which they did, but you know they use jubilees as an official thing. So you're you're extending the canon, but you're also re, uh, trimming your canon. You're rejecting uh, Hanukkah. You're rejecting Purim, and there's there's a historical reason why those communities separated. There's there's um, on the one hand the Qumran group uh, seems to be part of that the last bit uh, ditch effort over a couple hundred years to try to shore up some sort of mosaic covenantal life, community life, against uh, fear of Greek infiltration and to try to protect Israelites from assimilating to Greek. And so that's why you have, um, they uh, uplift Hebrew as the language, right? As As the original language, it's the language that Abraham, that an angel taught Abraham, um, and that the Gentile, there's a big, just sharp uh, line. You don't eat with Gentiles, um, so on and so forth. And they understood Hanukkah as as some sort of part of interaction of Israel assimilating to Greek culture. Um, all those traditions that we have about the Maccabees come down to us in Greek Right. And, and the Greek Esther, the Greek book of uh, Esther was a very expanded uh, story 
in the in the second temple period. So, um, so these are areas, and the second book of Maccabees starts out with a big uh, promotion of celebrate Hanukkah, celebrate Hanukkah. Um, and of course, the Pharisees were come from that uh, group, hmm. come from within that larger world, that group where you have Jews that are reading the Torah and studying the Torah, and Greek is a legitimate language. They didn't uh, divide at that point on language as an ideology, like if you even speak Greek that you're bad or wrong. Uh, the Pharisees were okay with Greek, uh, and they, they understood to slice it that, that just because you're speaking Greek doesn't make it bad or wrong. It seems like the Qumran community, although they, we do have a, a very, very small fragments of some of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, I think a little bit of the book of Jonah and Micah, in Greek, um, we don't get a whiff of it in there, in the Book of Jubilees or in the what they call the Serakayachad, the community rule. They didn't. They didn't have a place on their calendar for Hanukkah or Purim. So, uh, in their promotion of a of a solar calendar, which came and went in Jew in the Jewish larger Jewish chronology, think of background. It came. It seemed like there were groups trying to break out, break away from the masses and trying to establish this thing. And they did it a couple hundred years. We have groups doing that and then it fades and then it's gone. Well, just like you're saying, it would be interesting to me to see a Hebrew roots or a messianic group or whatever kind of group attempt to do that today. I wonder how that would work out. I, I think that they'd run into the same problems. Uh, and, and Peter has a question for you, Rob. He says, uh, Rob on the fixed date, for Pentecost, we also today keep a fixed calendar. As the Hillel 2 calendar we use today sets Shavuot on 6 Sivan, but we count. And then he says, but the first century calendar did not have postponements. Is it just majority as the criteria? I'm not sure what you mean by they didn't have postponements. I think, I, I think they certainly did have postponements. Well, aside from that, they, we have no record from the first century of of a fixing of Shav Shavuot was always the product of accounting. What we do, and, and Philip's right to point out that over the next thousand that, years... That was Peter. Or so. Peter, as Peter's right to point out, over, over, you know, after the Second Temple period ends and we have going to the, to the rabbinic era and then the rise of Islam, etc., and we have a, a whole new level of... Uh, scientific and accuracy yeah. when it comes to uh, looking at charting the heavens and things like that, going way back to Babylon, of course, um, which was another polemic, right? Because in, in the Tanakh and in the Greek Jewish text from the Second Temple period, they're using, they'll use month numbers as well as month names, and the month names they use are like Adar yeah. and, you know, Tammuz, right? They're using the Babylonian names because the Babylonians also are using a, a, a lunar calendar, yeah. right? Well, the Qumran group didn't use those. They used only month numbers, right? Because this is like they're trying to see themselves as being holy by separating from things like that. Well, anyway, aside from that, all this history of astron astronomical observation and trying to chart out, even the, if you look, even in the Greek world, in this first, second century BC, we have that, that cool, uh, computer, uh, Antithecaera, or I don't remember what it's called. Um, 
that they have all these gears and it's like they could dial in and see where certain heavenly bodies would be. And it's, it's very accurate. So they had, and that knowledge was, you know, that's second century BC. Um, so it's true to point out that now we look and we see a fixed date. We say, well, it's fixed. It's like Savon six, but in the middle of the rabbinic era, they were debating whether or not is it, uh, which day it would fall on because they hadn't yet always, you know, placed, so many days in between in terms of when one month ended and one month began. But it's true now. We would look back and say, well, okay, it looks like Pentecost is fixed. But only secondarily so. It's always counting from the 16th of Nisan. Whereas uh, Jubilees and the Temple Scroll, it's implied in the Temple Scroll, and in uh, MMT, I believe, it is fixed. We have a, in the second temple era, they're saying it's the, the 15th day of the third month, no counting. They've rejected the idea of counting altogether. And so, uh, my view is when we count the Omer, we might know, yeah, well, we're going to, we know where it's going to land because we have such an increase in knowledge in terms of how the calendar works. And it doesn't mean our calendar is perfect. I don't mean to say that our calendar was, is, is, is precise and flawless. I, I don't mean to imply that, but um, to, in my view, it's the best. It's the right thing to do, and it's the best thing to do. Um, so, but that's what's. That, there are many challenges facing those who are going to try to do a a solar calendar and somehow get people to follow it. I mean, it, it's it's like the people who do the lunar. Sabbath, you know, they have a weird challenge too, you know. Okay, so uh, this, I don't know if this could be quick or not, but we'll try real quick. Uh, Paul in the in the chat room says, uh, does anyone here, tr uh, he says, why, who is doing the feasts? Anyone here, is anyone here doing the feasts? And I say, yeah. He says, I know it says forever, but it said forever the Levites as priesthood. Yes, it does. And the Levites are still priests. And once the temple comes back, they will once again uh, be in charge of the priesthood, and they will uh, they will sacrifice. Uh, I believe that you know the the prophecies are quite clear that the prince, um, which I believe is Yeshua, uh, will be acting as high priest. Uh, the, it certainly, see, it seems in Zechariah and Ezekiel that uh, that burnt offerings and sin offerings even are are offered in the in the third temple again, and uh, so we see that happening. And, uh, you know, Matthew 5, 17 is very clear. Yeshua says, truly, truly, I say unto you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And once again, all has not been accomplished. All has been accomplished in terms of the death of the Messiah on the cross, covering over the sins of the elect. Um, the, the new covenant has been enacted through the death of the Messiah. There's no doubt about that. But the new covenant has not been fulfilled. The new covenant will be fulfilled when Israel as a nation comes to true faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And I think that's very clear within Jeremiah 31. Um, and so uh, it, are the Levites still priests? Absolutely. Um, are they acting right now in the temple? No, because there isn't a temple. We have to have a temple to be able to do sacrifices. If there was a temple, would we be doing sacrifices? I believe we would be doing sacrifices. And I believe that we will, even the believers, will do sacrifices under the, the guidance of, of Yeshua when the third temple is rebuilt. So right now, we keep the, the commands as best we possibly can. The Torah has not been done away with, as Yeshua said. And uh, actually, this brings up a very good point, uh, something that I forgot to mention. 
Our friend uh, David Wilbur, my friend David Wilbur, who, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think a lot of our listeners know who uh, David Wilbur is. Uh, he's with uh, Freedom Hill. He did a debate last week on uh, should Christians keep Torah? And I have to say, uh, David did very well. I thought his uh, presentation was excellent. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think that when you're watching a debate, you tend to side with the people that you agree with because they're making good points. But the thing that I, uh, the interesting thing that I, I took away from the debate was that the gentleman that he was debating, Tony, uh, Tony didn't seem to ever. He tried. He he uh, attempted to uh, speak to Matthew five seventeen and following, but besides that, Tony really di- didn't uh, answer or address the questions that uh, that uh, David brought up. And I I think that uh, that I think that David certainly held his own in the debate. Uh, I would probably give the debate to David because I think that he uh, he addressed the questions that were posed by Tony. And uh, and Tony did not address all of the questions that were posed by uh, David. The one thing that I did take, and I, I I've been uh, corresponding with, um, I've been corresponding with David about this, so uh, I think I I'm free to talk about it. The one thing that I did take issue with, <clears throat> and people, you know, I this would be interesting to uh, to to see what the chat room and other people think about this. I know that we're over time, but that's it, it's our show. We can do whatever we want. Um, the one thing that uh, I did take away from it, Tony at one point said, everyone, uh, and I think this is a, a almost verbatim quote, everyone would agree that circumcision is an integral part of the Mosaic Covenant. I totally disagree with that. I think, I mean, I think that uh, circumcision is an integral part of the Abrahamic Covenant. Yeah, and Yeshua makes that point in John 7. He says, it, it, not that it is of Moses, but it is of the Father's. Yeah, exactly, and so, and, yeah, says, so, and, yeah. and and what is the Abrahamic covenant? It is the it's the promise. We all like. I think most Christians would agree that the Abrahamic covenant is still in act today. It is the salvation of Yeshua through the Messiah, and so the idea that somehow uh, circumcision is now done away with is, I mean, it's just outside the realm of of. Uh, I I don't understand how why Christians would uh, agree that that would be an okay thing. Yeah, that. Uh, Sorry, you know how me. I gotta make sure I seal the footnote down. <laughs> it's John, John seven, um, twenty-two. Yeshua says, "For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers." Mm. And on the Shabbat, you circumcise a man. If the man receives circumcision on Shabbat, so the Torah of Moses will not be broken. Are you angry because I made a man entirely well on Shabbat? So, anyway, um, there is. Uh, John makes it clear that Yeshua knows. <laughs> and associate circumcision with the covenant uh, of Abraham. And Paul makes the point in Romans 4, right? I mean, so, uh, yeah, that that is uh, real important. Johnny, I'm sorry, but the chat room is lively today, and they got some great, great uh, questions. Johnny says, can you guys speak on the idea of Davidic kingly line, intermixing, intermingling, marrying, ironic line, producing children from the intermixing? This is very difficult, and I think the reason why is because, look, what was the punishment for not keeping the commandments that we'd be dispersed, right? That the that the uh, that Israel would be dispersed into the nations. Yeah, Israel and, was not obedient, right? Yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, we know. 
yeah, I mean, that's, but, but, the temple was destroyed, right? And that, that as disciples of Yeshua, we have to understand the reason the temple was destroyed is, is what Yeshua's words coming true, right? It's not, it's not, oh, you know, there was a revolt and all this stuff. No, that it's a, this is a consequence. It was a, reje- a divine judgment, a rejection of the Messiah. And here's the thing is that Hebrews is, is a very interesting book to read in light of this, you know, because I, I, my father's convinced me. I, I think that he's right that he, the book of Hebrews was, was written after the destruction of the temple or yeah, during or after the destruction of the temple. Anyway, the point is, is that indefinitely in, in, in the time where the tensions were like, this thing's falling apart. This thing is gone. Yeah. So so the thing is, is that we see in Isaiah and other places that without the Messiah, without the heart that's right, without the new covenant, right, the looking at uh, to Yeshua for salvation, without that, it, works are nothing, right? All you do, all the sacrifices you do, all these works, they're rags, they're nothing. It's only when you do it with the, with the Messiah Yeshua that all of a sudden works become a pleasing aroma to the Lord, right? Because you're already justified. And, and the there's thing no, it, there's because they're without hypocrisy. They're ex- without ex- uh, without deceit. They're pure. And, and so when when the temple was taken away and the priesthood was taken away, what's happening? The the Jewish uh, people, the the physical descendants of Abraham are no longer able to keep the the commands. It's not just that they can't that they can act like they're keeping them, even though they don't really have the Messiah Yeshua. They really can't keep them anymore. And what they the, they have to go back and build from the foundation, which is love God, love your neighbor. And Yeshua yeah. has already set this up as the core foundation of all the Torah. Or he also says that all things hang on that. So whether everything hangs on it, or if you're building on rock, build upwards, whatever it is, he gives us the priorities. Um, and that's going to be equally true. The weight of the sh- of the the obligation for the Shema and the love your neighbor has no. It does not shift or sway one bit to the other whether there's an operating priesthood or not. The weight of that of the, of the core of of the Torah, the weightiest matters of the Torah, are independent of whether there's a, a Levitical uh, system running or not. Well, the point is, is that. You know, the book of Hebrews shows us that we as believers, we still do have a temple, right? And we still have a high priest working on our behalf, right? And so, and, and so uh, I, th- I tend to think that the taking away of the priesthood— So my, the ultimate—back to Johnny's question, and thank you for the question, but the, ulti- the ultimate question is you're not allowed, you're not allowed to enter—the uh, uh, the priests were not allowed to intermarry, right? They had to marry within the, the priestly line. Uh, but now that the lines have been broken, nobody really knows who's a priest and all those kind of things anymore, part of the priestly line. I think it's part of the punishment. And so, yeah. and no, so, I mean, how else do we, we how else are we going to interpret it? So, when when uh, the Messiah comes back, he'll set it all straight. Well, and uh, and things will resume the way that they should be. This has been a very fun discussion, and uh, my ears are starting to hurt from my from my headphones. So, I think it's that tells me that it's time to uh, time to wrap things up. We sure do appreciate everybody sending in their questions. Next week, I yes, have... thank you everybody for just hanging in there and bearing with you know, and and we try to speak to your points and sometimes we hit sometimes we miss but thanks for uh sticking with us all right uh send keep sending us uh, uh show topics 
uh, these are these are great things that uh, that you guys that the chat room is bringing up and and the people who are emailing us. Man, oh man, uh, great questions! And not only are they great questions, but they make me have to sit down and actually study what uh, the things that, that you guys are bringing up because I a lot of the times it's stuff I've, I haven't thought about and I haven't studied. So uh, we sure do appreciate it. Until next time, don't forget to uh, leave us a comment. You can do that by calling our comment line, 253-465-3205. And uh, don't forget also to go over to TorahResource.com and find all sorts of cool stuff there as well. Please pray for us in this next week. We got a lot going on and uh, a lot of things that are moving around. And we're just praying that the Lord's going to sustain us until we can get things moved over. And so uh, send us emails as well, chag at TorahResource.com. That's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Until next time, we hope that this conversation has done one thing, and that is glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.